The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. Alex, Pat, Pat, what's up? Second time back on the pod. And I think you're my second recurring guest. You're, you're at least my second recurring guest. I think you're the only other recurring guest I've had so far. So welcome back. Awesome to have you on. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be a recurring guest. And I really enjoyed the first time. I thought it was so much fun. I thought you and I made a really good team. So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking right before we started this that uh, I was like, man, I feel like I know you and I never have met you in person, but you're definitely one of my OG Twitter followers from back Cubby's Crib, well, before Cubby's Crib, obviously. Um, I just, you're just like synonymous with Twitter for me as far as, well, you're not really on Twitter as much now, but in general, I feel like I know you well and I've never met you, but I was talking with someone earlier today. I was doing a podcast with another person in Chicago and as I was telling her and she was saying the same thing, it's like, Twitter is one of those places where I, I we have like so many people that we know and we don't really know them at all. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very true. I met a lot of people there. And, you know, if you remember on our last show, I talked about kind of leaving Twitter yep. and I recently wrote a blog post. I have a personal blog now. If you want to check it out, Alex Pat Sports Chat. It's it's very simple. It's on WordPress. It's like Alex Pat Sports Chat at WordPress.com. It's it's really just something for me to use to just, you know, air my feelings. And I wrote a very personal uh, blog, which got a lot of views um, about just, you know, my decision to kind of step away from frequently being on Twitter and getting rid of my first account and not really using it more than just tweeting out articles or checking in on people every now and then. And, you know, I, I just got to tell you that it is tough sometimes. Like, even though I think I made the right decision for me, it's still tough sometimes thinking, man, there's so many opinions I'd like to share with people, like including yourself. I mean, I mean, with you, Will, I can text you whenever I want about a sports opinion. Like I could talk to you directly. Where a bunch of other people, I didn't have that connection quite there. So, you know, it, it's it's a little different now. And it's times like these where sometimes I get tempted, but you know, I'm just still trying to do what I can outside, still write, still appear on shows like yours and share my opinions that way. And, you know, I hope people still uh, listen to them. When I was on Cubs Twitter, my goal was to just kind of be, here is the perspective of a Cub fan. Like what it's like to be a Cub fan. This is my perspective. And this is, you know, how I think this is my thought process this is where I was when this happened. I mean, honestly, one of my favorite things about being on Twitter back in the day was always being able to just share a random fact or stat or memory of something obscure that happened. You know, we always talk about the big moments. We talk about the World Series. We talk about the pennant. We talk about recent playoff wins. But, you know, I'll be I'll go on Twitter and be like, oh, man, Brooks Kieschnick once suited up for the Cubs. Or remember when Juan Cruz was on the Cubs back in 2003? Oh, yeah. Or you look back at 2006 and how bad that team was. Remember when Juan Pierre was a Cub? Or remember when Ryan Sweeney was batting cleanup during the, 
you know, the, the rebuild days. It, it was stuff like that. I always thought was a lot of fun to share. And Will, you were the one that showed me screen to GIF. And I just, that's right. You know, before I left, I went on a huge just rampage of gifting just random cub moments and posting them. One of my favorite all time moments that I posted every off season was 2003. It was their series against the Yankees. And if you remember the game, it was when Roger Clemens was going for his 300th win. He stopped Choi, had to leave uh, in the ambulance because he uh, collided mm. with Kerry Wood. It was the game Eric Karos won the game with a pinch hit home run. The gift that I always post from that game was left-handed reliever Mike Remlinger. I'm sure many Cubs fans will remember him. I think it was the seventh or the eighth inning, but the bases were loaded with two outs, and he struck out Jason Giambi, and he just went ape shit on the mound. And it was just a wonderful moment. And I always liked posting a gift of that moment because it was a great random Cubs moment that a lot of people, you know, in the day remember well. And it, you know, you think of 2003, you think of the playoffs, you think of winning the division. But that was a heck of a moment was beating the Yankees in that series. It, it's stuff like that that I think was really special to share. That stuff is cool, and there's definitely good parts about Twitter. Like, you're not missing anything, but then at the same time, I get what you're saying. Like, you're missing, like, those little things or some of the interaction with certain people. Like, I, I, I probably won't leave it, even though sometimes it's like, uh, I really need to just not be on it as much. But especially now, it's like, I like interacting with so many people on there. And I love tweeting at, you know, you see it, I'm well, saw it in the past when I would tweet <laughs> at the ESPN 1000 guys and you know they know me I know them I interact with them all the time or oh, you talk um, to Waddle and Sylvie because they're, they're they've been really cool to me in the past I caught you know it's funny I called in the Waddle and Sylvie one time I've, I've only done it one time but I've called in the cap a few times I've ca I call in the Black and Abdallah all the time I I'm a I'm a pretty loyal uh Black and Abdallah fan so it's funny though with Black and Abdallah I tweeted them all the time almost daily honestly just nonsense but i talked to them i call them i called in last night so it, i love that interaction so without twitter i wouldn't be able to interact with them as much so even though i go through times where i'm like i don't even want to be on twitter it's like yeah i, I i'm not gonna get rid of it necessarily it is march 13th and when this goes up it'll probably be whatever still middle of spring training how excited are you about the 2021 cubs in the baseball season well you know the baseball season is exciting no matter what it's always a fresh start fresh slate and you know we really love seeing baseball return even though the world still isn't quite right yet there's still a ways to go but we're seeing progress we see that fans are going to be back even though not many of them when it comes to the 2021 Cubs, it's kind of a mixed bag of feelings because I'm not expecting anything great, and I don't think a lot of people are, but it's still a team that can do something. Do I think it's a World Series something or a pennant something? No, but you know, as long as certain players bounce back and things go right, enough they'll be a competitive team and they're playing in a division that is winnable and I understand the Cardinals just got Nolan Arenado I understand the Brewers got some really good defensive players and Colton Wong and Jackie Bradley Jr but there's no team in this division where I say wow they are miles better than the Cubs because every team in this division has warts 
every single one. I mean, let's let's look at Milwaukee. They got a great first starter, very underrated in, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, he pitched yesterday, um, Brandon Woodruff. No, he's very good. The rest of the rotation, like many other years, you kind of scratch your head and go, who at some of those guys? I expect Christian Yelich to bounce back. Um, we'll see if uh, Lorenzo Cain could be anything this year if you know he's back. Obviously, Ryan Braun's retiring. But, you know, it's not like their lineup top to bottom is murderer's row, and it's not like their rotation is amazing. Then you look at you look at the Cardinals. They got Nolan Arenado. Okay. Let's see what he can do outside Coors Field for a whole year. I mean, let's be real. St. Louis, it's not like a super pitcher-friendly ballpark, but it's not exactly a hitter's ballpark either. And we've seen the splits of Nolan Arenado home and road. On the road, he's been pretty average overall. At home, he's been a superstar. So we'll see. We'll see. That's still probably a team that many people might be picking, and I can understand why. But outside Jack Flaherty, you look at their rotation, that's not exactly amazing either. And then, you know, the Reds, they might have lost Trevor Bauer, but they still do have Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo. So that one-two punch is probably the best one-two punch in the division. But you look at the rest of the team. It's like they have good guys on paper, but they never mix together. Like, it just, it never comes together for the Reds. Joey Votto is getting older. You know, he's what, 36, 37 now? He's, he, I still think he's a solid hitter, but he's not the guy he was a few years ago. You have Eugenio Suarez. You have Nicholas Castellanos. But, you know, again, they're not bulletproof either, and they have not proven that they can win with that core yet. And the Pirates are probably going to be like the worst team in baseball, so whatever. So the, the Central is there for the Cubs. And if you look at just the core of all those teams, you could still argue the Cubs have the best core. It's just a matter of how they play and how they bounce back. Because on paper, playing at their top level, you know, you got Anthony Rizzo, you got Chris Bryant, you got Javier Baez, you have Wilson Contreras. You know, that's a pretty damn good core. But they all got to bounce back. And they all got to really contribute. Because there's some big questions on this Cubs team, as you know. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, exactly. So, um, anytime I talk cups with people, the the word that comes to mind about this team for me is intriguing, interesting, because it's always interesting. It's always intriguing, but more so now, because for me, for the first time since probably 2014, you're talking about a team that does not have high expectations, or at least not what we're used to. Mm-hmm. I mean, even 2015, right. I was thinking, okay, this team might actually be good now. Rizzo might be turning into this, what he turned into. So I feel like low expectations, or at least lower expectations, I do think that the playoffs are definitely a possibility because, like you said, the division is not, there's nothing, No, there's no team, at least it looks like for right now. It doesn't look like there's any team that's really necessarily going to run away with it. St. Louis, sure, they got Arenado, that's great. I mean... Sure, I'll take an Arenado, but like you said, the splits, I'm sure he's going to hit, you know, tons of home runs against the Cubs this season and whatever. Oh, of course. But, you know, or 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 more so, Milwaukee, you know, they they picked up uh who do they just get? Um Jackie Bradley Jr. Jackie Bradley Jr is probably going to be a Cubs killer just because they always have one or two guys that just 
torches the Cubs and then doesn't do anything against anyone else. But uh, agreed. Pirates, we already know they're not going to be any good. The the Reds agreed. They're always kind of, they're, they're just, they tried going for it, what, last year? They've already gotten rid of or lost players already, like Bauer to the, to the Dodgers. And yeah, it's, it's going to be Chicago, Milwaukee, St. Louis, like it's been the last few years. And to me, I, I told, uh, so you know, Ryan, I had him on last time and, as I told him, I said, this team, it's like they could win 85 or they could lose 85. More so win 85. I don't think they're going to lose 85 yeah. games, but that's kind of where they are. It's kind of like I definitely see playoffs within they're, – they're, they're definitely a contender for the playoffs. Whether or not they get there, they're at least in that conversation, I think. Right. I, yeah, it's the offense. We always talk about can this offense can, – can they actually hit? It's early. I mean, it's spring training. You can't really take anything from that. But it's nice to see Jock Peterson getting off to a great start. It's nice to see Nico Horner getting off to a great start because you hope that that mm-hmm. gives him confidence. I think Jock's coming in with a chip on his shoulder. I think Nico is, obviously, it only helps if you're coming in. Even if it doesn't translate in April, at least for right now, it's got to give him confidence. And, you know, it's like, yeah, I do belong here. I can do this. At least make him feel good going into the season. But, you know... It's basically the same offense with the exception of Schwarber, of course. And maybe that's, maybe, I mean, nothing against Schwarber, not that this would be the case, but maybe that's the shakeup that they needed. Maybe Jock's going to provide something. Maybe Bryant and Baez coming off these horribly weird years and horrible years for them personally, maybe they're going to be back. I mean, if they're back, that's a whole other thing that's only going to help you. And, you know, but we we've been waiting for the offense to get back to normal, and then 2020 was just stupid, weird for everybody for obvious reasons. And so, yeah, maybe this is the year that something clicks offensively. But then you got the pitching, and you got to wonder what what that's going to be like. Well, you look at Jock Peterson. I really wanted to talk about yeah. him. People can look at the slash lines to Sh- uh, Schwarber and Jock Peterson, and you say, "Holy crap, this is the same hitter." Yeah. Not not exactly. In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Peterson is a lot better at hitting the heater. And Schwarber struggled with that. You throw him a high fastball, it, you know, he didn't always catch up to it. He does have holes in his swing like Schwarber, but he does make more contact. And if you look at last year, his BABIP was really low. I'm talking about Peterson. His BABIP was low, but like his exit velocity was among tops in baseball. So he was hitting the ball. He just was getting a little unlucky. And, you know, I look at last year, and part of me says, I don't even want to count some of those performances. I mean, a 60-game season with weird rules, I don't know. So look at it this way. I think Peterson, look, I love Kyle Schwarber to death, but I right. think Peterson's an upgrade. Mm-hmm. Not just from a hitting perspective, but you got a versatile, more athletic, better base runner. Right. In Jock Peterson. I think we're getting Jock Peterson at the right time. Like you said, he's going to play with a chip on his shoulder. He's probably going to want to play for money the following year. So he's going to do everything he can to put on a show with the Cubs this year. And I think he's going to take this opportunity and just fully go for it. So I'm very excited for Jock Peterson. But you look at the rest of the offense, especially the guys who struggled last year, really focusing in on Chris Bryant and Javier Baez. I, I don't think it's likely they're going to have another career-worst year this year. I just I, I thought that was a little fluky last year, in my opinion. Yeah, I feel like that would have normalized, you know, over the course of a 162. Like, I don't think they hit 
whatever it was, 200, four RBIs or whatever. Like, And if you remember, towards the end, uh, Chris Bryant started hitting the ball a little more. Yeah, and so, and of course, we're going into the season, barring anything catastrophic or major, which, you know, no one's getting traded at this point. And I was, as you know, I was thinking, like, put the onus on management. If this team is one game up, one game back at the trade deadline, what do you do? Do you trade Bryant? Do you trade Baez? Do you, if you haven't signed them, which I don't ex- necessarily expect a midseason extension for either guy, but uh, put the onus on management because what do you do if you're, you know, if you're, even if you are just a contender for the playoffs, but not really a World Series contender, uh, I mean, the risk is out there of letting a guy just keeping him and then he walks and you lose him. But yeah, at the very least, all they can do at this point is come into the season, play well, just play well, and then we'll see where the chips, where everything falls. But I mean, at this point, I'm curious to see what you do at the trade deadline. I know Jesse Rogers was talking about that and he was like, they might still trade guys at the trade deadline, which whatever. But I'm curious to see how Jed plays that. Yeah, it's really going to depend on what position the Cubs are in and what position the market is in. Because, you know, the market is going to determine so much. Let's say the Cubs are not contending. Let's say they're seven games back at the trade deadline. Because if that's the case, I truly believe Jed is going to hit the restart, like truly hit the restart button. We heard the rumor, the restart button this offseason. It didn't happen. But considering where these guys are with their contracts, considering where this team has trended with this core the past few years, the reset button is going to be hit if they are not in contention in the middle of the season, nearing towards the trade deadline. That means trading big chips. I mean, that's going to be the reality of it. Not saying that is where they're going to be, but if that is the scenario, that's going to be the outcome. Yeah. And again, it's going to depend on the market is let's say they're not contending and they are looking to move Chris Bryant. Is there going to be a team out there looking for a slugging third baseman? I'm sure any contending team would love to have a Chris Bryant if he's back to normal. I mean, heck, an an American League team could say, you know what, we can move things around a DH and squeeze you in. But we won't really know what that market looks like until then. We'll see what the demand is. We'll see what the asking price is. Because, I mean, look at this offseason. Including the Cubs, we saw a star in Nolan Arenado. We saw a Cy Young runner-up in Yu Darvish. We saw Francisco Lindor. We saw those guys get traded, and every return is like, that's it? Right. I mean, remember, we traded two absolute top prospects for Jose Quintana. And Jose Quintana was very good with the White Sox, But he wasn't like you Darvish dominant. He wasn't the caliber player of a Nolan Arenado. I mean, just look at the difference in just a few years and where the market is right now. So my fear is, is that they're going to hit the reset button, but it's going to be more underwhelming deals. Now, trade deadline deals and offseason deals are different. It's hard to compare the two. You will see teams pony up more at the trade deadline. I mean, that's just the nature of the game. So I know comparing you, Darvish, and Jose Quintana trade might be a little unfair, but still, my overall point is we have seen big names get traded for very underwhelming returns 
really all for the sake of salary dumps. I mean, the three guys I just listed, they traded you Darvish for a salary dump. It was very frustrating to see because the U Darvish trade, in my opinion, could have been a bit more of a certain trade in the short term. And we don't know the outcome of the U Darvish trade for the Cubs yet. We won't know for a few years because these guys that they got are teenagers and haven't had professional at-bats. They could be studs. Who knows? But it's going to be a while before we see that. If we would have gotten top prospects from the Padres, there'd be a bit more of an idea of what we'd get in return and maybe a bit more optimism about it. Right now, we just don't know. So the market is going to be very interesting when that time comes. So really, we looked at a very dramatic offseason where most of the team is just back. You know, at the end of the day. I feel like, and you'll probably agree, I would assume, I feel like Rizzo is the safest bet to assume, like, extension they're gonna figure that out i'm not even worried about that yes because i from a financial perspective right exactly i mean he's not gonna command the 200 mil that i'm not sure brian and baez are going to necessarily command that that's what the assumption would have been obviously before last season but that aside and there's you know all that with rizzo he is the captain officially unofficially but he also means the most to the city of Chicago and the Cubs. Not to say, mm-hmm. not to say he couldn't be traded elsewhere and be important to that city and that team, but he just means more to Chicago. He's been the face of the franchise since 2012, right. I mean. Right. And he's been there, yeah. He's been there from the bad years to the good years and all that stuff. Yeah. He means too much to that city. And first base is not a position that you necess- you would necessarily overpay for these days. Not you know again he could be great anywhere but he just means the most to Chicago so I think they'll get that done between Bryant and Baez what do you think do you think either one stays long term or how do you think that will shake out I think they'll prioritize Baez I think Baez does yeah. stay in the long run I have trouble seeing the Cubs letting Baez go I mean you got to remember one thing here too is when you talk about Baez and Rizzo versus Bryant. Bryant's the one with Scott Boris as his agent. That makes things a little more complicated, obviously. I mean, like, look at what the White Sox and Rick Hahn has done with most of their core players. They got them to club-friendly extensions early before they really even got a chance to play much baseball. And that is what they did with Anthony Rizzo. The Cubs did. That was never going to happen with Chris Bryant. Not Scott Boris as his agent, that was never going to happen. So you can already see how different the two scenarios are when you're looking at extensions of Bryant and, you know, versus Baez or Rizzo. So, you know, I definitely agree with you. I think Rizzo is going to get a nice little extension. I just, I think it's inevitable. I think we'll eventually see Javier Baez get one. Chris Bryant, I really do have my doubts, but where his value will be is going to be the big question. Um, will he command the money that he was originally um, going to command? Will he have any trade value possibly if that scenario or case does call for that? There's a lot riding on this season for individual players. I mean, you look at the team itself and where they are. There's not nearly as much pressure on them as there's been in years past But there's a lot of pressure on the front office and individual players 
because this is the last year of control for several guys, including Bryant, including Baez. So it's it's a weird season. It, it's, it's a very weird situation. We'd hoped that by when this season came a few years ago, we would have extensions for at least some guys in place, and we'd still be in the middle of a contending window. And I mean, they kind of are, but they're kind of not. You know, it's right. it's almost like no man's land because you have a team that has a core that has won a World Series before, but has a lot of questions in the supporting cast. And really, you're just trying to catch lightning in a bottle. I mean, that is the best way I could describe this season. You're trying to catch lightning in a bottle with a motor piece that has worked in the past. Well, I made this analogy. This is a better analogy. It's like you have a building that part of it was torn down and you've replaced part of that torn down building with cheap material. Is that cheap material going to hold the building up or is it going to crumble? We won't know, but it's been put in place. That's where the Cubs are. Yeah, it <laughs> it's funny. It sounds like a fancier version of the bears right now in terms of like bears are in no man's land eight and eight type of a year but the cubs at least have the world series in their back pocket yes yes that and i mean keep in mind the bears cannot get the most important position in all of sports right right. the most the single most position in any professional sport is the one position the bears cannot get right you know, I, I mean, but, you know, I mean, you're right. It's you do feel like there is a sense of similarity where you're kind of wandering in the middle and you see the window of opportunity and you say, you know, we can get there, but it's not going to be easy. And a lot is going to have to go right. I mean, just a few years ago when they were truly contenders for World Series, the Cubs core was playing at its best and it had a great supporting cast top to bottom. The rotation was great. The bench was great. You had a good back end of the bullpen. You look at the supporting cast now and you say, well, some areas it's okay, but some areas you worry about, you worry about the pitching more than anything, in my opinion, because I think if you give this team a good pitching staff, then you're looking at a legit chance to contend, but you also do worry about this offense's trends. I mean, they miss a lot of balls. And it's tough when they struggle with that and they're inconsistent. Yeah, the pitching staff to me, so I love Kyle Hendricks. He is the eight. He's been my, next to uh, John Lester when he was really in his prime as the ace. And of course, you Darvish in his ace type days. Kyle Hendricks to me was a guy that could be the ace. And now he is the ace. Mm-hmm. But then you have, and I like Kyle Davies for what he is. Obviously, like you said before, the U Darvish return seems underwhelming and you hope one of those guys hits talking more about the prospects because with Kyle Davies, I think he'll be all right. Maybe in an ideal situation, he's more of like a three, four starter, but if he's your two, whatever, you'll take it, I guess. But I like him for what he is. I think he can be all right. He's not a bad pitcher. He's really not. He's like a poor man's Kyle Hendricks. The thing with Zach Davies is, is like you alluded to just a second ago, He's a four-type pitcher being placed in a two-spot. Yeah, right. And so, but, you know, maybe maybe, maybe they catch lightning in a bottle with Jake Arrieta. Now, to me, he is probably like the four guy. But then you're wondering, does uh, 
Albert Alzali? Does he get going? Does Marquez figure it out? Trevor Williams is interesting because remember when he was pretty good with the Pirates a few years ago? Yeah. And people thought, oh, this is a nice young arm. And then he just fell off, like hardcore fell off. You know, maybe a new environment will do him some good. Not really counting on Shelby Miller at this point. Uh, I'm not. But I think a really big X factor is Albert Alzali taking that next step. He's not like 22, 23 anymore. He's 26. I think you got to get him going. I think you got to take the training wheels off and be like, you know what? You're going to take the ball every five days. Let's see what you got. I like the stuff he has. You know, he's got a fastball, mid-90s. The slider has some nice bite to it. So let's see what he can do. Now, the one I really want to talk about is Jake Arrieta, as you mentioned. Now, when Jake Arrieta came back, the nostalgia in my brain went crazy. And I immediately watched the highlights from 2015-2016, from his complete game shutout in the wildcard game, to his no-hitters, to his World Series wins, We know that's not who he is anymore. He's probably not close to that. But I do think he can be better than he was in Philly. I just, I think he never really fit well in Philly. And then he dealt with some injuries, which didn't help. But I think that if he gives you, let's say like a a 420 ERA, I'd take that at this point. I really would. I do think that there will be some very ugly moments with him where he could just get shelled. But I think he can do well enough to pitch some solid games and, you know, keep it, you know, keep you in it. I do. We just got to put in perspective. Yeah, I think that he can definitely, I mean, like, he wasn't, I'd have to look at his numbers, but I don't think he was necessarily, yeah, he wasn't, what he was in Chicago is not what he was in Philly. And it wasn't a few, it wasn't long ago that he went to Philly and was at the time trying to get these big dollars, which didn't really happen. But I feel like, yeah, I feel like Chicago is the one place in his MLB career where it's just all came together. Mm -hmm. I think he can harness some of that magic, even if it's just the fit, like you just said, the comfort factor. Sure. You know, that's, and it's, it's kind of funny. Him and Strope together again, same, they both came back at the same time, essentially. Uh, but I do think Arietta could definitely be a great, I mean, he might be the two behind Hendricks. Who the hell knows? But obviously, I think going into the season is probably like Davies behind Hendricks. I didn't mention Alec Mills. Yeah, and uh, Alec Mills again. Yeah, he had some nice starts last year, obviously, the no-hitter. Which was awesome. I don't, I don't really, yeah, exactly. I don't really know. I'm expecting like three, four, even five starter stuff out of him. Yeah. I don't really know what to think, but he's, he could hold his own, I think. Tyson Miller was another name I was thinking about. He only had a few starts last year. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I thought, I think he was, so when I was looking at the depth chart just now, he wasn't even on the depth chart. And so I was like, he's still there, isn't he? I, I'm pretty sure not long ago, he was kind of considered among those names. He was. On the starting, last time I so looked, he was. Have. But I think that might have been before they even had Arietta back. Yeah, that might that might be it. So, I mean, obviously, Arietta is going to be over that, so... Absolutely. So Arietta. So I mean, the starting rotation is definitely a question mark. And even Hendricks, my my ace, has if he starts here and there, but then he figures it out. Yeah. So I'm not worried about him. him. Yeah. I'm not worried about him. Uh, The rest are question marks. But I was thinking, you know, in the past, where my I think my ideal 
solution. Sure, playoffs are great, but I just want to see the guys that are part of this team going forward have good years, whether that be Nico Horner, Mm -hmm. whether it's Baez and Brian, Mm -hmm. whether it's Marquez, whether it's whoever. I want to see something potential. I want to know that this team isn't just middle of the road and just kind of like, okay, are they good? Are they bad? You know, it's like in football, one in one in 15 or 16 and oh, don't be eight and eight. Yeah. Like either be horrible don't be the bears. and know what you're doing. Exactly. Don't, don't be the bears. Don't be the because, bears. Squeak into a, like a seven seed playoff spot and then lose on Nickelodeon. Don't be the bears. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it, it's, it's uh <laughs> Nickelodeon. So yeah, but um, I, but I am intrigued and I know I'll, I'll be, pissed off and frustrated and in about a month from now oh, me too when they have a when they have a horrible game but right now it's spring training uh it, i mean whatever they're looking okay in spring training for whatever that's worth which is not much but i'll take it i don't want to be even though the white Sox are probably going to win 95 games i don't want to be two and eight in spring training i want to be you know seven and five or whatever the hell they are right now <laughs> i just want to see players i just want to see you know what? I just want to see baseball in April, and that's going to happen. It didn't happen last year, so I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I actually put my name in the pooling draw for early tickets for the Cubs. Probably not going to get drawn, but hey, I figured I might as well give it a go. It's been over a year since I've been to a ball game, and that's way too long, and I want to get yeah. back. And I don't care if it is snowy, rainy, cold, miserable. If I'm at a game, I want to be at a game. And, you know, I was thinking about this, too. A crowd of 8,000 being in that crowd might be kind of fun because you're spread Mm -hmm. out Mm -hmm. nicely among the stands and Mm -hmm. you know that everybody there is going to be really into it. So there's going to be a lot of energy among those few fans. And hey, you know, as my my dad says, I'll kind of know what it was like during weekday games in his childhood. So my dad was a kid, weekday baseball games, drew less than like 10,000 people at times. I mean, when Ernie Banks hit his five, uh, 500th home run, I think the attendance of that game was maybe like four or 5,000 people only. So, you know, and I mean, that was, that was pretty typical back then. You know, my whole life, it's always been Wrigley's been packed to the brim, where this would be really new. I mean, seeing it, it, it'd probably be weirder to see so few people in the stands than completely empty I mean, at this point, empty stands almost don't phase me because I'm kind of used to it. And then I'll watch highlights <laughs> yeah. of sporting events of like over a year ago, and I see all the people in the stands. I'm like, wow, that seems weird now that there are fans in the stands and that there's actual crowd noise. But anything to get away from that just god-awful fake crowd noise, just please. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I uh, It is weird when... I see like packed stadiums, but now it's like nice to see, even if it's 4,000 fans, it's like, all right, I see people in the stands again. It's something. I hated. Yeah. It's something I, and I do feel positive. Like I feel like we're definitely trending upwards. Yeah. Like, I think so too. We have, I don't know when this podcast is going to be up, but selection Sunday is happening. I am so psyched up for that. We didn't have it last year and it was so sad. I mean, I, I put that in perspective, obviously like we had way more important things happening, right, but right. Within the sports world, no March Madness. I love March Madness. It might be my favorite tournament of any sport playoff-wise, but 
you know, I'm so psyched up for that. I'm off Thursday and Friday because I'm going to watch basketball all day. And that's been kind of a tradition lately for me where I just nice first two days of the tournament. But yeah, as an yeah, Illinois I mean, fan, these are exciting times for NCAA. So I help Ohio State. I hope Ohio State beats Illinois tomorrow, but that's just the Ohio in me. <laughs> oh, you are so on the list. I uh, you just so made the I, list. I, I'm 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 overall though. It's cool that Illinois is having a resurgence because you know Sparty's down, Michigan. Well, even Michigan's kind of they've always been pretty good, but yeah. it's different. It's different. It's cool to see Illinois is up again. They're probably going to beat Ohio State. They probably will have won this game before. This is up, but yeah, uh, you, you never but, know. You uh, never know. You, you never know. I, you know, you never know. So I'm, I'm bummed though because I've become a Virginia fan over the years since I've been back in Virginia, and it sucks that um their game against Georgia Tech got canceled. Yeah, yeah, I saw. They're, 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 I, I, they can still get in the tournament apparently. Them in Kansas and even Duke. Duke's not going to get in. It won't matter. But for Virginia and Kansas, apparently they can still get in the tournament. It's just, I don't know how it's going to work out, but whatever. I'm just psyched up for the tournament, but uh, I don't know how that topic even just came up just now. I know you said something. And fans I, in the stands. I can't remember how. Right. But it all started <laughs> with fans remember. in the stands. And I actually I like, have how a, do we get there? I actually have a friend who's going to be at Lucas Oil, so he'll get to see. Who is it? Oh, I, I, I don't know him. <laughs> a personal friend of mine, yeah. Shout out to Andrew. What's up, Andrew? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I even, when he said fans in the stands, so do you know Greg Brax? Yes, I do. He's a very good friend of mine. Awesome. Braggs is the man. He's great. Um, he's been on the pod. He's on the pod. I he's gonna be back on. Shout out Braggs. Um, but you said fans in the stands, and I know that's like his whole thing. Um, Braggs in the stands. Uh-huh. He's awesome. But anyway, so when you said you had a friend that was gonna be there, I'm thinking like, oh, like I would know this person. And I was like, I don't know everybody that you know, obviously. So yeah, friend from mind. school, friend from college. So um, you know, I've always wanted to go to an NCAA tournament game. One of the coolest college games I ever went to, it was a heartbreaking loss, but it was a few, I think it was like a decade ago, maybe more now. It was a long time ago, but it was, um, I can't remember who they were playing, but it was an Illinois game at the United Center. And the place was jam-packed. And I mean, the atmosphere was electric. And it's too bad that during this magical season for the Illini that the fans weren't at Assembly Hall at U of I because this is the best Illini team since 2005. And I'm sure you remember that 2005 Illini team. Yeah. That was a very good team. And, you know, the fact that we've been treated to Io DeSumo this year has been just, you know, wonderful. It, it, again, it's, it's just too bad that the fans couldn't be there because I know that stadium would be so loud and ruckus for every game. But you know what? It's good that we're just seeing them play ball. That's what's really important. How would you grade Jed Hoyer's offseason so far? Well, you know, it, you have to look at the circumstances. He did not have a budget to work with. That's on Tom Ricketts. That's not on Jed Hoyer. For what he did, I, I want to give him like a C plus, B minus. Because I still think he could have squeezed a bit more out of that Darvish deal. I really do. Now, I think the fact that it was motivated to be a salary dump was a big factor in that, and that's not necessarily on him. But I think the the circumstances are you were trading the Cy Young runner-up and a guy who the past year and a half has been beyond dominant. You know, I, I just, I it could end up being a great 
great deal. So in the end, it is hard to judge that. But I think Jock Peterson was a very good move, a very sneaky move that I did not see happening. I mean, let's be real. You didn't see that happening either. Jock Peterson? No way. I didn't see anything. Right. Because they've never made, they haven't made moves the last couple of years. And all of a sudden they get Jock and, and even Arietta, And it's just like, okay, this is interesting. And then you look at some of the other ones. You look at getting smaller guys. You know, Jake Marisnik. That could be a sneaky good move. Um, replacing Caratini with Austin Romine. Austin Romine is a good catcher, but he doesn't really hit. Caratini could hit. That's another thing that kind of hurts about that Darvish deal is losing Caratini. Because I, the thing is, is I don't think Jed did anything bad. It's not like... I mean, again, we could go on about the Darvish trade, but I still think a lot of that is on the Ricketts and the money situation, not necessarily on Hoyer. But look at the other moves. You you parted ways with John Lester. I love John Lester, but that could have been the right move. Now, he had the medical procedure done, and maybe those were lingering effects last year, but, you know, I just, I don't know how much he has left. I mean, you look at last year, his fastball was in the low 80s. And if you look at comparing bringing back Arietta versus Lester, I think you could have potentially more in Arietta because he's one of the few players on this team that could throw over 90 miles an hour. It's not like he's a high-velocity guy, but you need some velocity, right? So I, I think that was that's potentially a good call on Hoyer. Will that actually work out is remain to be seen, but I like the thought process behind that. Um. And then, you know, you brought in guys that are probably not going to make the roster, but, you know, so does everybody. He didn't do anything overly spectacular, but I don't think he did anything overly horrible that would make immediate impact. So it's just kind of meh, you know? It's meh. But I, I, I will say that I'm very pleasantly surprised with the Jock Peterson signing. I like that one, and I like the way, you know, he liked how Ross is going to keep it real with him, mm-hmm. basically. Remember that storyline where it yes. was like, yeah, he's like, I love that he's going to keep it real. And he's like, if I'm not hitting it, the all-star break, we'll probably have to reassess thing or sure. whatever. And yeah, I, I liked the way Schwarber could gun down runners at home plate, but I like Jack in the outfield. I like him at the plate. He's a like much he's, better fielder. Let's be real. Yeah, right. And so and he's versatile. Like, yeah. So I like Jock, and they got him cheaper than what Schrober was going to cost, too. Not, I mean, by a few million, but with the Cubs and their penny-pinching ways lately, it, that makes a lot of difference, too. So I like Jock. I like I like the lineup. I mean, we've been talking about, again, it's just, I said it before, we've been waiting for the lineup to hit, but they have too many good guys to not be able to hit. And maybe the Schrober thing, for whatever reason, the Jock, something infuses something different. I don't know. And then... Contreras is great. Yeah, Caratini was a good backup and a starter somewhere. I like him. I like what San Diego's got, obviously, with him and Darvish and all these guys. They're exciting. Never thought I'd say that about the Padres. I've never thought the Padres were were exciting. Who thought the Padres would be getting this much attention? The Padres were always that team that was just completely irrelevant growing up. They were just meh. You said meh. They were meh for me. Even when they had Jake Peavy and they were, oh, yeah. you know, 90 wins. They were Adrian okay. Gonzalez. They were, they were never like, yeah, they were a team that would get to the, the playoffs and get swept by St. Louis or something like that. They were never exciting. It, uh, maybe going back to Tony Gwynn. Now, I will say this. I have ago. to give them some. 
Uh, right. I got to give them some credit, though. I remember how great the Yankee dynasty was, mm-hmm. and they swept the, the mighty Padres in 98. No one was going to beat the Yankee team of that year, but the Padres were a great sure. team in 98 and probably could have won against almost anyone else. So I won't say that they were never good, but yeah, exactly. They've always felt kind of irrelevant. And of course, 84 Padres, not that either of us were alive for that, but yeah, yeah you, know, you know, for, for what it's worth, they've never really, but now the White Sox and the Padres get a lot of the attention and right rightfully mm-hmm. so for all the potential in the buzz but i think the blue jays are right are almost right there if, or close anyway you I talk so. about guerrero and biggio and george springer i mean and when you say yeah. biggio and guerrero we're not talking about craig and vladimir it's insane <laughs> right it's insane right i remember i think i saw the astros at the reds back in the mm-hmm. day and if I'm not mistaken, I think Randy Johnson was on that team. And I think I saw him in mm-hmm. that game. I don't know. That was so long ago. So I at least saw the Astros back when they were in the, in the NL Central. But I definitely saw Vlad Guerrero with the Angels back in 04 at Fenway Park. Um, Boston won that game 10-7. Manny had two bombs. Inclu- I think he had a grand slam also. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure Manny hit a home run that hit either hit this kid or he caught the ball. And... The kid who caught the Manny home run was like living in Babe Ruth's old house or something crazy like really? that. I don't know. I just remember that storyline. But this was the year. It was 04. It was late August. I think it was August 31st, 04. And um, Boston was on a just a crazy hot streak. And of course, we know what happened with oh, Boston yes. in 04. Oh, yes. But that was a fun, that was an interesting, um, that was cool to be at that game. But it was the Angels against the Red Sox. It was Schilling against, I think John Lackey was pitching for the Angels. John but Lackey. I wanted to see, I wanted to see Vlad Guerrero. I know, right? John Lackey. You know, it's funny. So many people hate John Lackey with the Cubs, but I thought he was the perfect signing going into, um, what was it, 16, 2016. Right? You look at his regular and, season numbers. He was very good. So many people gave him so much shit, and it's like, what was it about John Lackey? Well, Everybody, he was a I know, hee-haw, like, I know, but I kind of liked that about well, him. Well, sure. But I, I think right. every team I mean, needs that kind of a-hole on their, you know, I just, I, I think right. every team yeah. needs that. And <laughs> that's, Lackey they was do. my favorite hee-haw. Even John Lester can be kind of, well, I'm not saying he's an asshole in any way, but he can have that quality that, like, that perfect arrogance or cockiness or whatever you want to call it confidence the old whatever you kind of the old it. school toughness old school that's the way i'd right. describe it but yeah the old school was the perfect way to put that so i gotta tell you this story in 2015 when the blackhawks won their third stanley cup with kane taze and those people there is a bar that we go to right by my house my friends and i it is literally on the other side of the train tracks right down my block Like, I can see the back of the bar when I am in my front yard. Well, that night was my friend's graduation party just down the street. So we were hanging out at his house. Little did I know that at the bar, Patrick Kane was with the Stanley Cup singing karaoke. It was right there. We could have seen it. We could have partied with it. We didn't find out until after he left. The Stanley Cup was about a thousand feet away from us with Patrick Kane. And we didn't know it. Joe Quenville was there with the cup back in 2010. But, you know, I could have been in there, obviously. I wasn't old enough to drink because it's also kind of like a family restaurant as well. It's like a restaurant bar. A lot of families like to go there. 
but I didn't know about that one either. That one I wasn't as upset about, but man, I, you know, I just turned 21. I was legal to drink. I could have partied with Patrick Kane in the cup. Oh man. I, I still can't believe I missed that. That sucks. You know what? That just reminded me my thing that I, I don't really think about it too often, but it just reminded me of this. I was like, the one thing that I regret that I missed out on was getting my picture with Bill Murray because in 2016, I was at Turner Field, Cubs at the Braves. It was a Saturday afternoon in Atlanta, and I'm looking at Instagram, and I see Rizzo in a picture with Bill Murray, and I was like, huh. And then I was like, that's weird. They must have just done this or something. And then I, it, it occurs to me. It's like, wait, is he here? And I looked down. I'm like, we were like not behind home plate directly, but on that third base side. And I look down, I see Bill Murray sitting like on the front row or one of the first few rows or whatever. And I'm like, holy shit, like that's him in the same shirt that I'm seeing in this picture. And sure enough, throughout every inning, in between innings, there'd be crowds lined up to get their picture. And I don't know what I was doing, why I didn't do this until I waited till the ninth inning to get up. And and then by then it was too late. And I'm like, why did I wait so long? Why didn't I get up and get a picture? Everybody else is doing it. And yeah, um, get on that, man. And the funny thing is, Bill Murray was there uh, randomly. Jason Bateman, the actor, was I think I don't know if I saw him in person. I think I did. I don't think it was on the scoreboard. I think he'd walked by us or something. And then Dickie V saw Dickie V all randomly there together or not together. Really? All randomly there. So Joel Murray, you know Joel Murray, his brother, right? I don't know if you okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. What's funny was it occurred to me not long after 2016, maybe it was 17 or 18. I was like, wait a minute, Joel Murray, it was the guy in Dharma and Greg. Like I didn't realize that was him. And I didn't, I didn't even put two and two together that, oh, Bill Murray's brother is Joel Murray. Okay. And so I remember I tweeted at him or something. And I was like, oh, you were in Darman Greg. And he liked my tweet or whatever. And a couple of times that I've like kind of retweeted tweeted at him, Joel Murray's kind of whatever, giving me a like or something. Or he called me like Bill. But anyway, I was like, oh, yeah, I was at this game. And he was like, yep, I was sitting right next to him talking about Bill. And I was like, that's so funny. Like, I didn't even realize I, I could have got my picture with him. I knew he was there. And for whatever reason, I didn't get up earlier and try to get a picture with them. <laughs> ah, I don't know what I was doing. Those are things you got to jump on. You know, it's like when you see him, it's like you don't know how long they're going to be there. So if you want to get a picture, you got to jump on it. Yeah, I remember right after that game ended, Cubs win the game and uh, they open the door to the field and Bill Murray escapes through the dugout. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course. But uh, yeah, that was fun. It was 2016 is always like uh, Obviously, it's a fun year. I was, of course, I was in Georgia for my internship, so that's why I was already there anyway. And I was like, "Let's go!" So it's it's spring anew. It's uh, new hope, new season. Less for me, lower expectations, which might be a good thing because maybe it's like, you know, no expectations. Well, you know what's funny is that this is the first time in a long time where like all the expectations for Chicago baseball are on the White Sox. You know, when you think about it. Last year, mm-hmm. the expectations for the White Sox were much higher, but the Cubs were still in that mix. Now it feels like really most of the expectations are on the White Sox. And we'll see, you know, how they do. I, I mean, I think the White Sox are built to win multiple championships right now, but we'll see. Um, they just have so many talented players. But, you know, the Cubs not necessarily being in the immediate spotlight 
might not be the worst thing. I know that sounds weird to say, and I know it's better when your team has expectations because it means they have something legitimately there. But, you know, we've seen in the past teams without expectations win. Teams that do have expectations don't win. So we'll see what happens in a year where the Cubs have not had as high of expectations in a while. And I know even last year the expectations weren't as high, but I still think they were higher last year for the Cubs than they were this year. I mean, that's how I feel. And then every year before that, from 16, 17, 18, 19, the expectations were playoffs. Yeah, I uh and yeah, you're right. You want you want to be the White Sox and have the high expectations, but I do think there's something to it with the Cubs and maybe having lowered expectations or just you know, we know it's not exactly ideal, but it could still be fun because it's kind of like, all right, I don't know what to expect. So anything that they give me is like a bonus. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's I know I'm going to be very emotionally invested in every game. And you know what? That's how I always been as a fan. Even when I say I don't have expectations. I mean, heck, I was emotionally invested in every game in 2011 when they were at the end of the Hendry era and that team was absolutely nothing. I mean, the only time I didn't really care about losses that much was 2012 because we knew that team was literally built to lose. But even still, I watched games loyally, and I didn't like when they lost, and I was happy when they won. So, you know, just the nature of baseball, I'll always be emotionally invested. I'll always ride with the team. But I keep trying to tell myself this year, try not to have too much expectation. Even if you do see a window where they can succeed, and there is a window, but that window isn't as big because you have more questions than ever. Even though you do have some stuff that you know is good, this is the first time where I look at the rotation and say, I'm really unsure about this. Because even last year, you still had you Darvish, obviously. You had Kyle Hendricks. You had John Lester. I mean, you your rotation is almost completely different. I mean, look at last year. Hendricks, Darvish, Lester, Quintana, even though he barely played last year because he was hurt. Then you had like Alec Mills. And then you had some spot starts from Edward Alzali and, you know, a few other guys. And now this year, it's almost completely different outside Hendricks. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i excited to see what, I don't know, Zach Davies. And I just hope Alzali, I hope Edward Alzali starts to show that promise potential. Brandon Marquez, I want to see him. I want to I want to know that this team has a rotation because right now outside of Hendricks we don't really know. Yeah, I think my prediction for the rotation to start the season it's going to be Kyle Hendricks, Zach Davies, Jake Arrieta, Trevor Williams, and either Alec Mills or Albert Alzale. We haven't even talked about the bullpen, but do you think Kimbrel is going to be able to make it as the closer for a whole season? I ah, uh, he's been awful in spring training. He has been just awful. I know it's spring training, but... Right. Well, because, like, he kind of found it in the latter half of last year, for what that's worth. But, yeah. Uh, You know what? You know what? This is his first spring training in, like, three years. Because he had a couple of years where he, like, signed late. And last year, spring training got abbreviated and disrupted. This is his first legit spring training. We always said, wait till he has a real spring training. He hasn't had a normal spring training. 
and now it's like probably too late for that for you know for for his sake (laughs) i hope i'm wrong i want to be wrong i i just think he's done i think he's toast he's not not what you would have hoped for what the money was what they spent but i mean we're getting towards the end of that deal now and you know the weird thing is with jeremy jeffress he went to washington they released him it sounds like personal things there i don't know the bullpen is always weird in general you never know you you get these guys that have great years and you think oh let's bring them back but then he doesn't really replicate the oh bullpens are so like dunsing it's they're so unbelievably fickle and you look at Jeremy Jeffress, and I appreciate the hell of what he did with the Cubs last year, but if you look beyond just some of the basic stats, that regression bell really rings. Like, his FIP was above four. He didn't miss a lot of bats, and guys did barrel the ball against him, but he had a very good defense behind him putting balls away. You know, again, he got the job done, and I don't want to take too much away from that. But I think if the sample size was bigger, you would start to see things kind of turn a little bit. Because, you know, when Jeremy Jeffress was in his prime, you know, he was very good. He was dominant. You know, he was missing bats left and right. When he was with Milwaukee some of those years, he was unhittable. But he was throwing much hard. I mean, he wasn't throwing very hard last year. I mean, he was throwing like, what, 90, 91, 92? He used to be a guy that could throw in the upper 90s. He hasn't done that in a while. So... As much as I liked Jeremy Jeffress last year for the Cubs, I think he brought a really good spark, a really good leader. I just think that re- the the regression bell really rung. So I, I kind of get why the Cubs didn't bring him back. But I am very worried about Craig Kimbrell. I, I would almost be tempted to say, you know what, give Wick the closer spot and see where things go. And they brought in Brandon Workman that could potentially be okay, but as a closer, like him and Chafin, those are solid relievers, but they're not closer type. Alex, Pat, it was awesome having you on. I always got to call you Pat. I don't know why, but I love it. You're not the only one. That's okay. That's that's completely okay. And uh, thank you so much for having me. I love being on here. I love talking with you. Always a good time. And, uh, you know, be sure to tell the old Twitter friends I say hello and I'm thinking about them. That, uh, you know, even though I'm not on nearly as much, that uh, I still enjoy every now and then sharing some sports opinions any way I can. You know, hopefully we can do this again soon. Definitely. Always good to have you on. Always down to do it again soon. All right, buddy. Thanks again.